Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Yesterday at Museum Day, I had a dream the night before. I'm going to tell you about my dreams now. Anyway, and I dreamt that I was... I was talking to a little, a little, a little person. It was a little girl, probably about four or five years old, and I was explaining to her about creation. <laughs> and I thought that's the way I have to speak, you know, because these very clear statements in the Bible. First John five twelve, very clear. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And that's the. This is the first John five twelve is a great plainness of speech. If a person has the Son, he's got life. If a person does not have the Son of God, he doesn't have life. You couldn't get more plain than that. Very plain. Scripture does not have and does not need what the Bible calls a private or personal interpretation. As it says in 2 Peter 1.20, 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So when I go to the lost I know how important it is to stick to the text, the thus saith the Lord text, and not to change it to the gospel according to Tom. And when I teach the Bible, I know how important it is to stick to the text of thus saith the Lord and not to the text of thus saith Tom. And that's exactly what we see Joseph doing here is making sure that his brothers did as we see him telling his brothers exactly what to say in verses 9 through 11. Exactly. And he starts off with, thus saith Joseph. Now, Joseph knew that his message had to be concise and it had to be effective. I mean, he knew his brothers weren't sitting there taking notes about what he was saying and about what they had to say. And he knew he could not rely on his brothers to to, to remember a long, drawn-out message. So he's got to get right to the point. And it's imperative for Joseph that he communicate effectively. He's got to communicate very effectively to his father through his brothers. So this all meant that Joseph had to make his message short and effective and organized in order to accomplish his goal. He needed a logical Outline. Joseph needed a logical outline that flowed from point to point logically. And he succeeded in this, in these three verses. And this is where communication breaks down. All communication breaks down when it becomes long and drawn out, where emotion scrambles the message like eggs into a disorganized mess. And it's left to the hearers to try to piece it together, try to piece together the message. That's why organization and outline is so important. For effective communication, organization and outline is so important. And this is what we see Joseph doing here in verses 9 through 11. He's following an outline of his message. 
in these three verses. And this outline has five points. And his outline is very simple. Authority, that's the first point. Command, that's the second point. Objective, that's the third point. Goal, that's the fourth point. And purpose, that's the fifth point. Now, let me just clarify the difference because you're probably thinking to yourself, well, what's the difference between objective, goal, and purpose? (laughs) Okay, well, first of all, objective are specific actions. Objective is actions. Goal is the end result. It's the end. Goal is the end result. And purpose is the reason. So those are those three there. It's very interesting to see how God follows this same outline all throughout the Bible. When he speaks, when God speaks, God states his unequivocal authority. God gives his clear commands. God tells his specific objectives or actions. And God tells his ultimate goal or his end that he's pursuing. And God tells the, his, the driving purpose the purpose is driving him, or the reason that he's doing this. And you can apply this, this outline of authority, command, objective, goal, and purpose all throughout the Bible. You see, all throughout the Bible, for example, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, that's a statement of unequivocal authority. It's God. It establishes that he is able to accomplish what he wants, what he desires, because he's God. Whosoever believeth, that's a statement of God's clear command, clear command, what man is to do. He is to believe. He gave his only begotten son. That's the statement of the specific action that was taken. It was taken by God. That man should have everlasting life. That's the statement of God's goal, his end, and what drives him. God so loved, and he doesn't want man that man should not perish. That's the statement of the driving purpose or the reason for God, the why God did all this, because he loves man, and he doesn't want any man to perish. Okay, now we look at this with Joseph. Joseph starts with the first point in his outline, which is a statement of his authority. When he said in verse nine, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. In that statement, Joseph is saying how he was able to accomplish his purpose because of the authority. It's very important to see what Joseph did say and what Joseph did not say in that statement of authority. Joseph did not say, I am Lord of all Egypt. Joseph did not say, I have risen to the position of being Lord of all Egypt. Joseph did not say, I was the only person in Egypt that could interpret this Pharaoh's dreams, and that's how I rose to the position, and that's how I'm now Lord of all Egypt. See, all of those statements would have been putting the spotlight on Joseph, and those statements would have been Joseph saying, look at me, look at me. But when Joseph said, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Joseph was saying, look at God, look at God. Joseph was saying, don't look at me, look at God. Now, this is remarkable. This is remarkable because here's a man who arguably is the most powerful man in the world and that he should say, don't look at me, 
Look at God. That's remarkable. But this is what makes a, a, a preacher a great preacher, and this is what makes a teacher a great teacher, when his message is, don't look at me, look at God. And that's what we see Joseph doing here in this first statement of authority. Now, again, it's important to see what Joseph is not saying in verse 9. Joseph is not saying, Pharaoh hath made me Lord of all Egypt. And that's what most people would have said. Most people would have said, they would have said, Pharaoh has made Joseph Lord over all Egypt when Pharaoh saw that Joseph could interpret his dreams and Pharaoh promoted him. Now, so the headlines in the Egyptian papers read, Pharaoh promotes Joseph. But the headlines in heaven's newspaper say, God promotes Joseph. And Joseph's statements mirrors heaven's newspapers and not Egypt's newspapers, as Joseph did not say Pharaoh in verse 9, but he said, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. It's very important, very important to look at Joseph's statement in verse 9, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt, and to match it up right next to Psalm 75, verse 5. 75, Psalm 75, verses 5 through 7. Psalm 75, verses 5 through 7 says this. Lift not up your horn on high. Sound familiar? Don't blow your own horn. Lift not up your own horn. No, lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one, he setteth up another. So when Joseph did not say in verse 9, I interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and gained the place of being Lord of all Egypt, Joseph was obeying Psalm 75, Psalm 75, 5. Lift not up your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck. When Joseph did not say in verse 9, Pharaoh promoted me to be Lord of all Egypt, Joseph affirmed, Psalm 75, 6. Psalm 75, 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, nor from Pharaoh. Doesn't say that, but that's what he was saying. When Joseph did say in verse 9, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt, Joseph affirmed the next verse, Psalm 75, 7. Psalm 75, 7. But God is the judge. He put it down one and set up another, uh, setteth up another. So that was Joseph's first point in his outline. It was the point, it was the statement of authority, which gave the foundation that he was able to accomplish what he was next going to say. So after he established his authority now as a foundation, he turns now to the second point in his outline, which is his command, very clear command, command in verse 9. Come down unto me and tarry not. Come down unto me and tarry not. Well, we see Joseph's command here is that it's definite. God's commands are definite. They're definite. You know, Joseph did not say to Jacob, let me make you an offer to consider or a suggestion for you to think about. And in the same way, we do not have in the Bible 10 suggestions. We have 10 commandments. We don't have 10 ideas. We have 10 commandments. And aren't you glad that you always know where you stand with God? Because he's so clear in his commands in the Bible. In the Bible, sin is as clear. It's black and white, and there's no gray. There's no middle ground. And Joseph was so clear in his command when he said, come down unto me, and he adds, tarry not. He says, tarry not. He's not. Say- he's saying, don't think about it. <laughs> Just come down. Very clear command. Now we see he goes on to his third point in his outline, which is objective. 
Now here he lays out very specifics, and the specifics are in verse 10, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, thy flocks, thy herds, all that thou hast. So the objection is a specific action. It's a specific action, which is thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. And the land of Goshen was near to Joseph. And you will dwell there along with your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, everything you have. Now, so in verse 9, when Joseph said to Jacob, you should come down to him, that was the command. But now he gets specific with the action and with the objective, and he specifically says, everybody comes to Goshen. So the objective gives the command body. The objective gives the command body. The command in verse 9 is clear, come down unto me. But what does it mean? That's the objective. Verse 10, you come to Goshen. You're going to live in Goshen. Because the command, the objective gives the command body. And this is what God does when he gives a clear and specific a, 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 a command here. He says, it gives clear and specific command. He says in Exodus 20, verse 14, Exodus 20, verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the command. Where's the body? Where's the, where's the meaning? That's a clear command. The specific objective will give that command body, and the Lord gave the specific objective to the command when he said in Matthew 5.28, Matthew 5.28, but I say unto you that whosoever there looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So the clear command is to not commit adultery. The specific objective is to not look on a woman to lust after her. Now we come to the fourth point in his outline, which is the goal. It's the ultimate end. And he says, he tells what his goal and his ultimate end is in verse 11. In verse 11, when he says, there will I nourish thee. I will nourish thee. That's Joseph's ultimate goal. That's what he's heading toward. That's the goal. I will nourish you. And this explains what Joseph is trying to finally accomplish. He finally wants to be able to nourish his family. He never lost that ultimate goal. It was his life goal was to nourish his family. And we see this life goal, which was to nourish his family, and he restates it in the last chapter of this book, Genesis, when Joseph makes this statement before he makes his last words before he dies. In uh, chapter 50, verse 21, Genesis 50, verse 21, when he said, therefore, now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So we see Joseph has this ultimate goal, which is his life goal, of nourishing his family. And it speaks to us about how our ultimate life goal should be to nourish the church, nourish the saints. This is what Paul said in Acts 20, verse 27. Acts 20, verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed or nourish, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So when Paul said in Acts 20, 28, to take heed to the, to the church of God, he was saying to them, make it your life goal to nourish the church of God, nourish God's church. And this is what we see as the ultimate goal of Joseph when he says in verse 11, he's gonna nourish his family. Nourish is a very strong word. It's a very strong word. So when you think, say nourish, you think of, you know, well, I'm an expert in nourishment. You should ask me. I've been sitting up taking nourishment for a long time. But nourish is a very, very strong word because it brings them to mind like a mother. A mother nourishes her children. Nourish has this connotation of feeding for growth. 
It's an underlying concept of the scriptures of what the Bible is to be used for, as it says in 1 Peter 2.2, 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the milk, the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Well, it says in Jeremiah 15.16, Jeremiah 15.16, thy words were found, I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. So Joseph is not going to be happy until he has all his family under his wings of protection, where he can watch over them, he can care for them, and this is not going to happen if his family remains far from him in Canaan. So he says exactly, come near unto me, which is what the Lord Jesus says in John 14, where I am, there ye may be also, speaking of heaven. What Jehovah Jesus says in Exodus 19.4, Exodus 19.4, you've seen what I did unto the Egyptians. I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. In Psalm 91.4, he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now we come to the last point, which is the fifth point in Joseph's outline. And this is the purpose or the reason that's driving Joseph. Verse 11, there will I nourish thee for the... There are yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all thou hast come to poverty. So here's here he is. He's telling his reason. He's telling his purpose. He's telling what's driving him. He says, "There's five years left of the famine, and if you don't come, you, your household, and everything you have is going to be is going to fall into poverty." Is the Hebrew word slavery? So this is the purpose that drove Joseph. Joseph has in his sights the far-reaching devastation that the famine is going to accomplish on its path of destruction. And this vast destruction here that brought is what is bringing Joseph to action. And the same is true for God. God alone sees the extent of the destruction that unforgiven sins will result in, which is an eternity in hell. He alone sees that. God knows, like no one else knows, of the eternal crying the unbelievable frustration that results in the grinding down of teeth, the torments of a fire that does not consume, the worms that do not retreat, and the soul-chilling darkness and loneliness in hell. And that's what drives God to action. And we only have to look at the astounding action that God took when he sent his only son to a cross of torment and shame so he could save man from hell. We only have to look at that cross just to get a glimpse of something of the understanding that God sees in hell. And that's the reason or the purpose that drove God to give his only son to die for our sins, so the sins of men. And this is illustrated by Joseph. You know, there was Joseph. He was sitting in the palace of Egypt with as much food as he wanted and as many servants as he desired. And he could have easily played the Marie Antoinette game. He could have said, oh, the people don't have bread. Let them eat cake. But that wasn't Joseph. That wasn't Joseph. Joseph saw beyond his own circumstances in the palace, which were very good, to the circumstances of the people, and that was Joseph's, that's what drove him. That was his purpose. And so Joseph felt beyond his own feelings of comfort. He felt the pain of the people outside the palace, and that was Joseph's purpose. And that's a picture of God. There was God in heaven. God in heaven who has everything he wants, but God sees beyond his heaven to the lost state of man on his way to hell, and that becomes God's purpose. And that was God in heaven. He felt beyond his own feelings to the lost state of men on their way to hell, and that's God's purpose. And that's a challenge for us. 
that's a challenge for us because will we see beyond our circumstances, our, our enclaves of our homes to see the lost condition of men on their way to hell? That is our purpose. Will we see beyond our feelings to feel what lost people feel with no hope, without God in the world? That's our purpose. So these are the five points of Joseph's outline that guided him in what he said. Authority that was unequivocal, command that was clear, objective which was specific, goal that was ultimate, and purpose that was driving. Now, Joseph did not have to explain these last two points of goal and purpose in order to get what he wanted done. He could have just said, look, I'm the boss. Here's my authority. Here's the command. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Here's the objective. Here's the specifics to do it. He could have just done that. But he didn't have to explain to his family the goal that he was trying to accomplish, and he didn't have to explain to them the purpose that was driving him. He only had to tell them that he has authority and his command and his objective. That's all he had to do. He did go beyond, and he explained the goal and the purpose. And the reason he did this was because he was not treating his family like they were just servants. He was treating his family like they were friends. And it's the explanation of the goal and the purpose that makes the difference between being treated like a servant or treated like a friend. Servants are only told the authority, the command, the objective. Friends are told the goal and the purpose. And that's the same distinction that God makes when he calls us friends and not servants in John 15, 15. John 15, 15, henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now, we've seen how much effort Joseph went into getting this message condensed to this simple, very easy to understand, five-point outline. And we've seen how important it was for the message to be delivered correctly, correctly to his father. And we've seen how this correct delivery of his message was all about Joseph's life goal, And the question still persists. Why didn't Joseph go himself to deliver the message? Why did he entrust such an important message to his his brothers who had failed? So we're coming back to the same point, but there's another point I want to make about it. And again, the reason was because this was an opportunity for Joseph to recover his brothers by entrusting them with this important message. What we see here is that Joseph did not become so caught up with the job that needed to be done that he failed to see the opportunity of the others that he could help. And we get so, we are so easily caught up with, with the importance of getting a job done that we fail to see the opportunity to step back and help others by entrusting them with the job, even though it clearly is a risk. It's a clear risk to the success of the job, and so it was with Joseph. But Joseph's focus and God's focus is on people and on building up people, and Joseph is clearly focused on building up his brothers. These are the reasons why we should be like Joseph. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, the the life of Joseph, what you did in his life, and then what you took the time to record for us, and help us, Lord, not just to read interesting stories here, but to but really to be able to be like Joseph in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Are you seeking employment? Tom Cantor, the founder and president of Scantabodies Laboratory, would like to invite you to a job fair open house. Scantabodies Laboratory, a biotech company, will be accepting resumes on Saturday, April 14th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., located behind the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. That's Saturday, April 14th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. For more information, visit scanabodies.com or call 619-258-9300. That's 619-258-9300. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 